Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. TC Live with you on a Thursday evening in Monte Carlo. Quarterfinals are on tap tomorrow at the third Masters 1000 event of the year. Several of the usual clay court suspects have made the final eights, along with a couple of pleasant surprises. Coming up on the show, Stefano Tsitsipas rents an apartment in Monte Carlo, but he owns center court. Two-time defending champ charges back into the quarters. Rafa used to own this court, 11 times a champion, but he is missing this year. And news today that he may miss Madrid as well. Plus, it's been a while since we've seen Garbina Muguruza. We'll tell you why the next time we see her, she'll be needing a new coach. Some of our storylines on this Thursday as we welcome you to Tennis Channel Live. Quarterfinals tomorrow in Monte Carlo with Chris Eubanks here in our studios. Andy Roddick at the home office. We were wondering how long it would take Novak Djokovic to get back to full strength. And after today, we still do not know. Andy, he had the sleeve on the elbow. He had the tape on the leg. The second serve deserted him. What did you make of, from that performance? Yeah, I mean, by, listen, he, he he said it was pretty average. You could tell uh, he, he's not happy with, with the way he played uh, in Monte Carlo. It was, it was interesting because the more that the rallies got extended, Musetti was actually able to create space and height. Musetti kind of acts like one of the old school dirt ballers, right, where he has those long, fluid strokes, and that's how he creates the jump on the ball. Uh, a little bit different kind of the, uh, the, the uh, hit out on every ball all the time, play quarters, of uh, that we see today so he was able to get the ball up and away from Novak and it felt like Novak got caught between kind of stepping inside the court and then kind of playing patiently back all the while never really uh, fully committing to, to, to any strategy and the, the second serve was was rough credit to Musetti he had so much time to get back wasn't in a rush to try to pressure him on that first return but stepped inside the court when he had to was able to bleed him lines ugly performance for for Novak today but credit to Musetti. I think you hit the nail on the head right at the end. Second serve points one was a big contributing factor to this match today. Novak only winning 39% of second serve points when he usually averages around 57. It's going to be tough to try to win on a clay court if you're not winning over 50% of second serve points. And he was aggravated. He deflected from questions about his physical condition after the match. You'll hear some of those comments in a second, but let's show you how it went down. Remember, just the second match of his comeback after the six-week involuntary hiatus and Musetti, 21 years old and full of fire. Yeah, but look at where Novak is playing from on that first ball. He was six feet behind the baseline. And then when Musetti was able to turn it, he turned it hard and fast. Great recognition of when to go to neutral to when to go to offense. This is actually one of the few points that Musetti was able to win on a drop shot uh, today. Uh, but was able to stay the course. You know, Novak not really uh, fully there, but... I, Listen, Musetti overused the drop shot, didn't win uh, a ton of points on it, but was able to keep Novak pretty pretty deep in the court most of the day. Novak got forward a little bit more uh, there in the first set. One of the only overheads he made, he duffed about three or four mm -hmm. overheads uh, throughout the rest of the match, which is a big tell on a player what their confidence is like if they're missing kind of standard uh, overheads. Uh, 
it was one of those matches you always felt like Novak was going to turn it uh, at some point. Even at five all in the second set, you felt like Novak was going to find a way like he always does. We almost feel entitled uh, to a result. But Musetti did a great job mixing in the forehand inside out. And then that one, I love it when people are creative with a racket break. Brett, you know me. No one got hurt. No umpires were in danger. Uh, that was probably the most clinical thing Novak did uh, all day. But even now, the rain comes, you figure, all right, we're going to reset Novak's going to go inside. He's going to kind of steady the waters, going to come out and figure it out. And credit to Musetti. Made a couple of adjustments, went for that shot. When he was deep in the court, on that first return, was taking big cuts into big spaces. Uh, well done. I mean, this one right here, you cannot tell me. I was sitting there going, oh, here it is. He's going to turn it right here. And Novak, you see, trying to force it through the court. Musetti saying, I cannot believe it. Was able to create the space. Got the ball above Joker's uh, shoulders for most of the day and then pulled the trigger when he had to and was not scared, Brett. He was excited, wasn't scared to go to, like, the Thursday box run, you know, hug everybody <laughs> in Monaco, for, uh, leaving the court. That's, he went to, like, full pack cash in 87, except it's a Thursday. All right, maybe a little premature with the box embraces, but can't complain about eight breaks of serve against Djokovic. Here are the rather pedestrian numbers from the world number one. You mentioned 39% on second serve points. He was broken eight times in the match, five times in that second set as Musetti gets his fifth career top 10 win, first against a top three opponent. Let's hear from both guys, starting with Djokovic on a day to forget. Well, feeling is terrible after playing like this, honestly. But congrats to him. He, you know, he stayed tough in the important moments and that's it. Well, you always hope for the good day in the office, but uh, yeah, I, I knew I'm not, I'm not playing so great and he's playing very well, so I knew it was going to be a tough match. I cannot say nothing. I'm okay. I'm fine. Congrats to him. We move on. Really an emotional win because uh, it was a really long match, three hours of match, uh, suspended with the rain, so it was for sure not easy conditions since the beginning because it was a little bit windy, cold, so not the not like we used to play in the uh, in the last days. So I think it, it counts maybe twice. So I'm really, really, really proud of uh, of myself. I I can see the on the screen and uh, I'm uh, I'm. I told you I'm, I'm struggling to to cry because I because I think it's uh, still a dream for me. It's fun to watch that unbridled joy in a player accomplishing something that he hasn't done before. We saw that with you a couple of weeks ago in Miami. He's a guy who's part of this next wave of Italian young players, but he's been a little overshadowed, first by Berrettini, who makes a Wimbledon final, now by Yannick Sinner, who's one of the quote-unquote next big three. Should Musetti be a bigger part of this Italian conversation? I think if he continues to put together results like this, he will be, inevitably. Let's not forget, we've heard the name Lorenzo Musetti for so long, but he's still just 21 years old. I think that kind of gets lost when we're used to hearing players' names go on year after year after year. And he already has multiple top 10 wins for such a young age. He's won a Masters, uh, I'm sorry, an ATP 500 in Hamburg, defeating Carlos Alcaraz in the final. Mm -hmm. So you see that the talent is there. You see that on any given day, especially on a clay court, he can be a formidable opponent for anybody. And I think if he continues to put that together, uses this as confidence to continue to build on, I don't see why not. What do you like about Musetti, Andy? Uh, I, I like the space he's able to create. He gets a lot of height on the ball, right? Like when he rips it, it's not only coming through hot, like through the court, but right? it's also getting up and away, especially when he has time. 
because he's not great on the faster surfaces when you can take his time away, maybe step inside the court, especially on a cold day like today. He is able to create enough pace. You know, someone like me, I could kind of just shove a back end. So a cold day was an absolute nightmare. He can create speed from a slow pace and get the ball up and away. And Novak didn't know which way it was going. He didn't know uh, how to attack it from above his head on a cold day because he wasn't getting any help through the court when he was trying to drive it. So credit to Massetti, but also we've known about him for, you know, like Chris said, three or four years now, but I kind of put him in a silo of, hey, listen, this guy's good on clay, but I don't think we're going to hear much about him from the rest of the year. He kind of flipped that narrative at the end of last year. Don't sleep on the fall that he had winning matches indoors on surfaces he was not content with. He created a belief system last fall and added that belief system today, getting over the, the, the finish line against someone like a Novak Djokovic. He was the number one junior in the world, and he won the Australian Open, made the final of the U.S. Open. He proved his hardcore credentials in that part of his career, and he's hopefully going to continue to do it. But clearly on clay, he's a, a huge threat. Let's show you the defending champ two times over, Sitsipas taking on the Chilean Nicolas Jari today. We've talked a lot about an ability to create pace off of balls with no speed on it, and Sitsipas does that exceptionally well. It's part of the reason he's been able to do well on clay and do well at this tournament specifically. Going up against Nico Jari, a player who loves clay, loves time. Fortunately, for both players, they were actually able to play earlier in the day when it was a little bit warmer. They had a little bit more umph going through the ball. But Sitsipas, honestly, just on a clay court, just moves too well. Jari's a big guy, likes to take big cuts, but once he starts going side to side, he's in a bit of a trouble. Sitsipas can handle the brute strength of Nico Jari and able to move him and outmaneuver him around the clay court. And I think we were able to see that today and why he was so successful. So Sitsipas improves to 31-3 and on the year. Are you kidding? Just 14 unforced errors in this match. A lot to be happy about. Still in the hunt for a third straight in Monte Carlo. He talked to Prakash about finding his clay footing. First match here. How would you grade your performance today? Well, I'm not really used to play with such wind in Monte Carlo. That is something that occurred to me for the very first time. It was challenging uh, when it first happened, but uh, I overcame it and I'm happy with that. Yeah. I think we were both dealing with, those, with these conditions, I mean, uh, simultaneously at the same time. So I'm glad I was the one that, uh, you know, was able to return more serves, uh, find some solutions when things were kind of getting tight and close. But overall, my assessment, great uh, first match in Monte Carlo. All right, let's move on to the number one American, Taylor Fritz, taking on the next Jenner from the Czech Republic, Yuri Lehechka. I was very excited to see this match. Yuri Lehechka is a big hitter, loves to have time, and loves the clay. He spoke at it at a great length with Prakash yesterday, saying how he grew up on the clay. And he thinks that certain areas of his game translate better to hardcore, but he's still no stranger around the clay court, especially on a day in which he's able to take big cuts and try to outmaneuver the opponent. And Taylor Fritz is still trying to get his clay footing. Again, still working his way through it, was able to kind of get a little bit of momentum going into the second set, take that second set, and then from that point on, it was smooth sailing for the American. He was able to dictate play how he likes to do on hard clay, grass. If Taylor Fritz is hitting four ends inside the baseline, the surface does not matter. He's going to be effective and he's going to cause his opponents a lot of problems. All right, so Taylor Fritz just 15 unforced errors in this match. Becomes the first American to make back-to-back -back quarterfinals in Monte Carlo 
since Venus Garolitis, 1978 through 80, when he made three in a row. Bottom half of the draw, Rublev against the qualifier Struve, Sitsipas and Fritz. There have been three previous meetings between the American and the Greek, all three one by Steph. More to come on TC Live on this Thursday. More highlights from the round of 16, plus new light shed on Rafa's condition and his prospects for the rest of this clay season. Stay with us. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Back on TC Live, and a reminder that Tennis.com is the absolute best way to keep up with everything going on during this clay court season. Check it out today. It's got live scores and stats and results and draws, easy access to full match replays on TennisChannel.com. Just download the app or visit the website to get the full Monty from the clay court season. Time now to say happy birthday to Tennis Channel as we celebrate 20 years doing the thing we love. Watching Tennis Channel as a kid, uh, it was pretty, I would say, for me, it's where I watch tennis at. It's all I've known. Um, but I definitely think, speaking to my dad, you know, there was never really a network that showcased just tennis. You know, tennis wasn't considered, I mean, it was a big sport, but I guess not big enough to have its own network when he was growing up. Um, so that change kind of happened uh, shortly after, or shortly before I was born. And I think that's you guys are probably the reason why my dad put me into tennis um, because of watching Tennis Channel. So I don't know. I have to ask him that, but I'm sure the answer is yes. Hi, Tennis Channel. I would like to wish you guys a happy 20th anniversary, and thank you for showcasing all the talented players in the world of tennis. Thank you to Coco, and thank you to Corey Goff for making her watch as a wee baby. And we look forward to seeing Coco and the rest of Team USA starting tomorrow as the U.S. hosts Austria in the Billie Jean King Cup qualifiers. Jesse Pagula, Danielle Collins, Katie McNally, and Sophia Kennan also on the squad. Hall of Famers Tracy Austin and Pam Shriver will lead the coverage for Tennis Channel Friday and Saturday from Delray Beach. Still more to come on the show. Garbina Muguruza had already announced her extended sabbatical away from the court. Now she's going to need a new coach when she comes back. Details on the web. on TC Live. Back to the highlights in Monte Carlo and an all-Russian third-round showdown. Two best friends who've been playing each other since they were eight. Andre Rublev and Corinne Hatchinov, Andy. And you know Rublev's always going to be there, and it's tough to go through him with a flat ball, which makes it challenging for Hatchinov today. Rublev, as, as, as good as it gets, hopping that serve. That had to be plus 130 there. Uh, excited to get through the first set, but that did not last very long, Brett. Because Rublev is moody. I'm telling you, watch this. He says, I am mad and I'm going to throw things everywhere. And then he got happy again, Brett. 
was works. able to cruise to the second. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it worked. Distributes the ball, can hit it both ways. I'll be cross court down line. Hatching off, not the best mover on clay. Seems to get around just fine, but uh, Rublev shades of kind of my generation's Davidenko, where if he's inside the court and he's feeling it, can make it. Uh, it almost looks like he's playing ping pong sometimes, but beats his friend on this day. It was a good racket throw, but it wasn't as good as the curb stop that Djokovic gave us. Here's Hercatch and Sinner, which is a rematch from the Miami final a couple years ago, Andy. Yeah, and I was a little worried early because Hubie seemed to say, uh, you know what, Andy, I know you took Sinner yesterday, and I'm going to make sure that everyone knows you're a <laughs> dummy for doing that. Uh, but the thumper is always there for Hercotch. Uh Not his favorite service play, but when you can serve 137 to the corners, you're always in every match. Sinner competes. We know that. Obviously, the Italians want a reason to yell and scream, and Sinner gave them at least the opportunity to do it for one more set by closing out this breaker, and he is pumped up. Has the momentum going into the third set. And, Brett, this was one-way traffic the entire way. Sinner just obviously, we, we talk about the fact that he can punch you out on both sides. He develops that transition game and the variety to lay one down there. A little touch volley. Never want to end on a double fault. Normally anticlimactic, but they cheered just the same. Sinner is moving on. Sinner was a passing shot machine today. Hercotch came to net 18 times. Only won seven of those points. So here's the center file now 23 and 5 on the year. 23 wins second most to Medvedev's 31. He's been quarters or better in six of the seven events he's played. He won in Montpellier, which means he's won at least one title four straight years. The Darren Cahill effect seems to be significant with him. Let us go to the social net for this Thursday, and we've got an update on Rafa and his condition, courtesy of a Spanish radio network, which says that his prospects for Madrid are now in doubt. He's still bothered by the psoas injury that started in Australia. Chris, how concerned are we now about Rafa's long-term prospects? I think you got to be a little bit concerned. You know, Madrid is a tournament that means so much to him. He's played exceptionally well there. It's been a staple of his clay court campaign. So for him to miss that in front of his home country and his home fans, it's definitely a little bit of cause for concern. What about you, Andy? Yeah, are, are we, is this the beginning of the end? I mean, we, we keep worrying about that. Is it here? Yeah, it very well could be. Um, I, listen, I, did any of us think he was going to sneak two slams in last year and be healthy, you know, and play a solid amount of tennis uh, through the first seven months? Probably not. But listen, the space between his injuries is getting tighter and tighter, right? It seems like they're cumulative now, whereas he used to play, he would take three months off or four months off at a time, but then he would come back completely healthy. It doesn't seem like he has been completely healthy since last year's run uh, at Wimbledon. And listen, for the rest of his career, Brett, he is going to draw a bright red circle around the French Open and do everything in his power to get matches going in. This is a real concern if he is missing out on Monte Carlo, Barcelona, Madrid. He's a diesel engine. He needs those reps going into events. This is very concerning for Rafa fans. Yeah, it's concerning for all of us who love seeing what he does at this time of the year. Let's stick yep. with the Spanish news. Garbina Muguruza has been gone for a while. She's taken a uh, self-imposed sabbatical away from the court, and today we get the announcement that she and Conchita Martinez have, uh, as they like to say, stopped their collaboration. Chris, they've been working on and off together since 2017. It seemed like Muguruza was at her happiest, at her most productive when she was with Conchita. At her happiest and playing some of her best tennis. So this is definitely pretty interesting. We, I heard earlier 
in the year that Muguruza was going to take a little bit of time off. She wanted to prioritize being at home with family, which is completely understandable. She's at the later part of her career, so I'm sure her priorities can be in different places as they were when she was early and fresh on the tour looking to win Grand Slams. Now it's going to be interesting to see what is she going to do when she comes back. Does she try to bring on another full-time coach, or does she maybe just promote someone within her team to just try to get her by through these next few months of the year. Andy, where do you stand on sort of the, the self-imposed sabbatical? We've seen a few players do it. It's not injury-based from what we understand. She just felt like she needed a break. Is that okay to do mid-late career? Well, if it's okay for her, we don't have a choice. Yeah. You know, hey, listen, if she feels I guess like it, she is needs... Is it wise to do is what I'm asking. Well, I mean, listen, case-by-case -case basis, right? But if she feels like she's not getting enjoyment out of tennis, it's an absolute slog to get through practices right now. I don't know if I can com commit to the program that Conchita wants to run. If there are more question marks than answers, then sure, I I I'm all for it. Listen, we won't know the correct answer to that question till two, three years down the road if she goes, you know what, I absolutely needed that time to go and reassess where I was in my life. And maybe maybe she's looking at life past tennis. Maybe she's not. She mentioned kind of getting to enjoy the time with her friends and family. So um, listen, it's it's what's not okay is showing up and, and mailing it in week after week. If she's trying to avoid that, then more power to her. I hope she gets back, and I hope she's in the, the right mental space and physical space when she does come back. That's well put, and we all hope that she gets back in that state. We'll take uh, one more break. A reminder of how you can watch your tennis tomorrow. Live coverage on Tennis Channel from Monte Carlo begins once again at 5 a.m. Eastern, back with another edition of TC Live at 1 p.m. Eastern. And then the change tomorrow is that at 6 p.m., it's day one coverage of Team USA Billie Jean King Cup in Delray against the Austrians, and then encore coverage throughout the night. Back in just a moment. Back on TC Live, hot shot of the day. Yannick Sinner, far court here against Hercotch. A little wand work, Andy. And I had to ask after seeing this, how tall is Sinner? Is he 6'3", 6 6'4"? 6 Eubanks says at least 6'3". All of these guys know, Brett. Listen, when I started on tour, guys who were 6'4 were like a mannequin. 6'4", off of his shoe tops, sliding in perfect unison with the rest of his body. What a shot. What an athlete. That, that was impressive. They aren't mannequins anymore, Andy. Here are your feature quarterfinals <laughs> for Friday starting at 5 a.m. Eastern. Rublev starts things off against the qualifier Struth. Then Sitsipas continues the title defense against Taylor Fritz. And then Sinner Musetti, the two Italians, have the nightcap. Also, don't forget Billie Jean King Cup action tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern. Our team in Monte Carlo is Danny Kleppinger and Prakash Amitraj. They've got a preview. All right, Brett, back at our FanDuel desk. Pete, quarterfinal matchup between Andre Rublev and Jan Leonard Struff. How do you think this one's going to play out? Well, I, I don't think it's going to be straightforward for the Russian. I mean, look, uh, Andre looked great against Hachinov in that previous round, but Struff has given him trouble in the past. They played a couple times on clay in 21, and they were both tight affairs. Three sets in Rome, Rublev was able to get him, but Struff took him out at the French Open. So he's got that in the back of his mind, and, and things seem to be playing quick. So if the sun is out, balls are moving through the air, Struff's game is the one that can give Rublev trouble. Hopefully that sun is out, and we're going to have some great <laughs> quarterfinal action here in Monaco. All right, we look forward to seeing you guys tomorrow. Here is Andy filling in on the FanDuel pick of the day. You say Rublev over Struff? Yeah, I do. I Listen, I... I, I Nothing but respect, no disrespect for a troop. Coming through qualities, 
going through a field so far uh, to get to this matchup, but I don't know that there's a day in the year if you give me a straight-up pick that I'm going to take Stroop over Rublev. All right, so that's the pick for Andy, and Andre Rublev is his choice. Let's look at a couple of the matches tomorrow, and let's start with Tsitsipas and Fritz. Obviously, Steph loves this court. He's the two-time defending champion. If you were giving Taylor a game plan for how to beat Tsitsipas, what would it include? attacking the backhand as much as possible, trying to get it above his shoulders. That's something that Fritz saw firsthand last year at Labor Cup in that deciding match with Francis Tiafo against Stefano Tsitsipas. Yes, it's a different court, but late in that third set or in that 10-point breaker, Francis made it a point to dial in as many balls as he could up to the Tsitsipas backhand. Fritz has the firepower to be able to do it. If he gets a weak reply, look for him to really accelerate and really try to drive through the court and cause Tsitsipas some problems. Would you add anything to that game plan, Andy? I think that's right. I think he has to go one-way traffic uh, to that backhand side early. Now, if he's having a hard time creating space to actually access the backhand point, the, one of the biggest improvements in Taylor Fritz's game over the last three years is his ability to pull the trigger on that backhand line hard and flat. That's not going to get him in trouble against against Stefanos, right? I know we like to keep it away from his forehand, but if he's going firm to that backhand side, he can create uh, space, more of an open lane to get to that backhand side. I'm excited for this uh, this Fritzy Poss uh, matchup. Fritzy Poss, make the t-shirts. They had a really exciting match at the Australian Open last year. Taylor led two sets to one. Steph came back to win it in five. Thanks to Andy. Thanks to Chris. TC Live is done for today. Back with you 5 a.m. Eastern tomorrow for more Monte Carlo coverage tomorrow and a big tip of the cat to that man, Lorenzo Musetti, beats the world number one just a couple miles from home.